0: Hey, Pilgrim Devotion family, this is just a little message for our Seaford Baptist Church members who are listening to this episode. I'm very excited for you to listen. It's a great conversation, I hope, between me and Pastor Kenny DeAria. The reason I say I hope is I was a little under the weather when we recorded, and I am now as well. uh, Just my head felt a little cloudy, and I'm talking to one of the smartest guys that I know and so, as we're discussing, I hope that I was a, a help and not a hindrance in the discussion, but I think that uh, it was a really great conversation. And I loved getting to hear about the way things are done at RCF regarding multi generational ministry. And that's really what the conversation is about the family integrated model versus the multi generational model. I love multi-generational ministry, but we do have a little more age-specific ministry happening here than they do at RCF. What you're going to hear is two pastors pastoring two different autonomous churches and who are doing things in different ways in those churches. And I want you to be able to drop your guard and just enjoy the conversation and not be listening to it going, is this where Pastor Michael wants to go? Is this where the pastors at Seaford want to go? The moves we've made with Kids Praise stand on their own. As I've said, there's no second rabbit that we plan to pull out of a hat on anyone. Uh, We are committed to the way that we are doing ministry here at the church. And while I'm open to being uh, a little more family integrated in some discipleship settings, we're not looking to change what we're doing, really. Uh, We're just looking to make the changes we've made to be... Uh, A little more multi-generational in our worship service. But you're going to hear Pastor Kenny talk about the way they do things at RCF, and it is beautiful. And I want you to drop your guard and be able to listen to that and enjoy that. And to be able to listen to this and rejoice in how we're in the pillar network together, but different churches do different things differently. That was a lot of difference in that sentence. But the bottom line is we're committed together to gospel proclamation, to the Bible as our life and authority, to live expository preaching, not a preacher on a screen, Uh, elder-led or pastor-led, a plurality of male elders governing the church, being kingdom-minded, confessionally Baptist. These are things we're committed to so we can partner together in a more meaningful way, but we we are all not looking to become identical. No, not at all. We're autonomous churches and we do different things differently. So enjoy the episode, drop your guard, ask me any questions after you're done. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. I am your host, Michael Howard. I'm the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church, but this podcast is for people inside and outside of Seaford Baptist Church, for anyone who is living the pilgrim life representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And this week we have a guest. Uh, We're trying to make a habit of this and everyone seems to like when we have guests. And so, our guest this week is my brother, Kenny Deoria. Did I just say your last name correctly? Close enough. Okay. Why don't you say it correctly? Deoria. 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 I've been saying it wrong for a while now. It's okay. <laughs> so, Deoria, And uh, he is the pastor of Reformation Christian Fellowship, one of the pastors there. And you are the founding pastor, is that correct? Correct. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and RCF, because that'll be new for our people, Uh
1: Okay, well, um, I've been in pastoral ministry for um, just a little over 20 years. I served as a worship pastor and associate pastor at my uh, home church, Restoration Church in Hampton, Virginia. Um, in 2012, myself and two elders and about 35 people started Reformation Christian Fellowship um, to be a distinctly Reformed Baptist congregation. and. Uh, Yeah, it was a long journey of learning what that meant. Right. And um, yeah, and uh, we're now about to enter into our 13th year, if I'm right, or 12th year. Yeah, uh, uh, our 12th year in February. And so
0: you all started right about the time I came to Seaford. I mean, it's close to the same time. Uh, And you meet, uh, at first you were sharing a building with, Riverside Baptist is that correct
1: at first we were completely homeless we met at the Hampton Roads Convention Center okay and a handful of hotels I think meet. I've seen some pro wrestling there yeah yeah <laughs> um, actually hilariously um, there were times where there were uh, collegiate women's volleyball competitions going on and we had a really difficult time keeping our young men in church on <laughs> yeah, those right Sundays. so yeah um, uh, that was that. But we would we would be removed for various events that required the entire convention center. And then we'd have to find other hotels, movie theaters, that sort of thing. We did that for a few years until uh, we started renting space from Riverside Baptist Church in Newport News. A couple of years ago, um, they gifted us the building. Right. And so now they live um, and, and worship with us week in and week out. Um, and we delight to host them, and we'll do so for as long as God grants them to be a church.
0: That is a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful church building. So if you're coming across the James River Bridge, and you just see that gleaming white church, with that right. beautiful green lawn, right. I mean, it's, it's like a beacon of light sitting there. And your brother, I know, is a deacon, <laughs> the deacon over the building at your church, because yeah. we talked a little bit, yeah. and uh, he said... It has its challenges. I said, "Well, my friend, you see none of those challenges from the bridge. It's just is a gleaming, beautiful church. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we know all about challenges with buildings at Seaford. Yeah. So we have parts of our buildings that has been there since the church started in the '60s. We have parts that have been there since 2004. We have parts that are being renovated as we speak, so uh, it's always a project. But thank you for coming on the podcast. And you have, uh, you have a wife. You have children.
1: I do. I've got a wife. Her name is Delia. I have five children, ages 19, 16, 12, 9, and 7. And uh, they're a joy.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So speaking of kids, we are talking today about really the model that we use in church to, I won't say reach families, but really how do we do discipleship? How do we worship? Do we break up? Do we have age-specific ministries at times? Should everyone stay together? Uh, I know that in recent years, uh, in some ways, due to his work with um, talking about CRT and stuff, Vodi Bacham has become a very popular uh, speaker, and I, I personally love Vodi. I've got a lot of love for Vodi. I heard Vodi speak at the summer camp I was saved at mm. in 1999. Cool. Uh, Crossroads summer camp with Clayton King. And one thing I love about Clayton is he's is not a reform guy, but had no problem having reform guys come and speak uh, at his camp. And so Vodi came and preached there. It was the first time I ever saw him. And, you know, that voice, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> so he's been in my life the whole time I've been a Christian. And Vody's very passionate about what we would call the family integrated model. So what is, let's define some terms. What would you say is the family integrated model for church.
1: I would define that as the conviction that always having your, all of your children with you in every discipleship, every discipleship setting uh, is required. So, um, all the kids nursery, no. And, and, I, I could be wrong, so I, I welcome uh, a correction on this, but uh, a family-integrated uh, individual would, would maybe even call having a nursery potentially sinful. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So...
0: I'm sure there's varying degrees, uh, but certainly the idea of a youth group in a family-integrated church would be foreign. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and Votie has written to great lengths about why he thinks it's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go and search those things out. Uh certainly Sunday morning worship. We're all together. Yeah. And so what what are some positives that we can look at from Family Integrated and say, well, they're getting some things right.
1: Yeah. I think they're they're rightly pointing out that generally speaking, in the American church, we do discipleship as if it's impossible for a family to be discipled together.
0: hmm right.
1: In most American churches, when you walk into a church, out of almost desperate necessity, they take every one of your children and put them in another room. Right. Uh, as if they can't possibly learn... A, the, 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 the maybe unintended implication being communicated to, to, to us as, as um, parishioners is you can't possibly be discipled with your kids around, and if you're a teenager, you can't possibly be discipled with your your old stodgy parents around. Right. You know your children can't possibly benefit from being you being the primarily primary one being discipled while they're just sort of learning and gleaming. You, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think they they are right to push back on the the the, the extreme divide and conquer.
0: Yeah, the, the silo ministries. It's just like, you go over here, you go over here, you go over here. And I I saw when I went to college, in myself, first of all, no clue how to be a part of a local church as an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. No clue. Uh, it <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time scrambling, looking, you know, going to a couple churches in Richmond, not knowing what even to look for. And then... Ultimately, just retreated back to the church I came from and started working with, guess what? The youth group. The youth group right? <laughs> so, but I did go to Inner Varsity, and it was not alarming to me at first because I didn't necessarily have the convictions I do now. But before I left it, it was alarming. I mean, even within those couple of years, my thoughts had started to change and form different books I'm reading and different men that were in my life. And I'm starting to look around and go, we got a lot of people that come to Inner Varsity every week and raise their hands and they sing. And they go to a small group, and they don't have a local church they attend. Yeah, I mean, they're treating IV as their local church. Mm-hmm. And when college ended, I mean, I, I, have, I have really one guy I keep up with from that group, and we lament together often how many names we can say from those we went to college with that are not walking with the Lord, that are not in church, that never learned how to be a part of a local church, and I think that the family-integrated model pushes back on that and says, you will learn how to be the church from the cradle, mm-hmm. you know. What are some negatives that sometimes can come along with the family-integrated model?
1: Um, I think the negatives, one, they villainize inadvertently, maybe, um, the, the benefit of age-graded teaching.
0: Mm, right.
1: You know, As if somehow it's inappropriate to talk to a child on a child's level yes. that's one
0: and God uh, gifts people to do that
1: yeah and in fact we we're, we're commanded I mean fathers are commanded to do that right um, in Scripture in Ephesians 6 and uh, even older women are instructed in Titus 2 to, to teach younger women you know so there's definitely um, an understanding of trying to speak to people at the level that they are but we inadvertently villainize that I think our brothers in the uh, family-integrated movement, possibly. Uh, Yeah, not all. Not all, all. certainly. And I think another possible drawback is, uh, and this is something that I'm open to push back on, but I I think one of the the big issues in a family-integrated approach is um, the belief that... um, the belief that somehow we're doing something... having, uh, you know... Screaming children in a service is somehow more sanctifying, right? Um, than caring for our, our fussy babies in, in a nursery setting, so that everyone can be more uh, attentive to the word. Sure. And I think we shouldn't villainize that, uh, and we shouldn't over spiritualize necessarily. You know, it, there is a, there is a sacrificial self-giving and I'm, I'm, I know I'm giving a, now a positive one. <laughs> That's but okay. Is, it's good. And it's similar to the, the idea of, um, special needs individuals. Right. Like if you've got, um, I, I remember growing up at a church, um, uh, there was, uh, a good brother in our church named Dave Perkins and he had a son who used to groan and make loud noises in the middle of church. Right. And, um, our church initially was maybe unkindly distracted by that. And our pastor had to teach the congregation. Now, listen, you're going to hear so-and-so making some noise. And, um, you know, he he's not able to control that. It's a mental issue that he has. And, and we're going to give our hearts attention to the Word of God. And we're going to learn to be charitable. And so I, I think that was really good. In a, in a family-integrated church, you can teach a congregation to do that with the sounds of babies. If it gets so loud and a cacophony of babies, then that's really difficult. It is. Yeah. Um, I, I think. And uh, yeah, so, but that's a possible weakness. I don't know. Would, would you say there are others maybe?
0: Uh, I, I think that the one I, I picked up on a second ago, just that when, when you were talking about the age specific, I have found that my children have really benefited from being under... uh, Our children's director is Kimberly Milner. I have told her that outside of my wife and I, there's no one on this earth more responsible for my son being in the kingdom. Mm. Um, And the time that that my son has spent with Kimberly in classes, everything from preschool where he went and got an education uh, and learned his alphabet and his his, uh, numbers and... And also the Ten Commandments. He was catechized in the Ten Commandments by Kimberly, and all those sorts of things, through coming up through pre-K and everything, uh, K through five. And it was really right as he is hitting sixth grade that he comes. You know, uh, he, we were homeschoolers, and in homeschooling, my wife says, "What's God calling you to?" That was the question of the day for them mm. at the mm. end of their Bible time, and he said, "God's calling me to be baptized." And we were fairly sure he was converted. we had seen fruit. Uh, we didn't lead him in a prayer. Um, and I just believe that his spiritual formation benefited from being with kids his age at times, getting that sort of teaching in a classroom setting, having games and activities that are reinforcing the truths that he's learning, uh, because Kimberly's pretty intentional with those sorts of things, mm. And just seeing the fruit from that, it's hard for me to imagine that that is unlawful uh, or that it would be uh, considered wrong or that the Lord is in heaven going, oh, you know, those Howards and that Seaford. (laughs) So, and yet, uh, I have come around because we, up until recently, are a church that has had our kids fully out of there. I mean, if you are K through five... You are not in the worship service unless it is a Lord's Supper Sunday because we did want to model them to, to see the Lord's Supper and to understand it. And we will we, we'll bring them down if we're having baptism and, and those sorts of things. But we really, we really decided, you know what? People look at me all the time and say, what are we going to do about this generation? Transgender this, LGBT that. They're learning gender they're they're fluent in gender theory at 10, 11 years old. What what are we gonna do? This generation is gonna go off the rails and and um my response to the church is, well, what we're gonna do is show them how to worship and show them how to be the church. And so I used to be a guy that like totally rejected family integrated, and I was like, No, 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 no. It's it's you know, you guys are you guys are being legalistic about this, and now, well, I do think some family-integrated folks can be re- legalistic. Which, by the way, like I'm a, I'm a regular principle guy. Some regular principle guys can be legalistic. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, I was just reading Martin Lloyd Jones saying that whatever you believe, whatever camp you're in, you're always in danger of traditionalism mm. and becoming dogmatic and not even being willing to listen to the other side. And mm-hmm. so, I don't want to be that. And uh, and I don't want to accuse all family-integrated folks of being that. But the more that I have kind of listened to them, I've gone, there's, there's some good in what they're saying. There's some truth in what they're saying. And I think that I need to integrate more of the family-integrated model. Hmm. But I was saying that with you just last week, and you used the term multi-gen. You said we're multi-gen, which means multi-generational. And I thought, yeah, that is, that is what I am. I'm a multi-generational guy. It's not that I've ever been against family integrated. I just believe so much in multi-generational. And the very nature of that term family integrated could possibly make an older person go, is there a place for me here? Mm -hmm. Uh, If this is all about dads and moms and kids and babies, and all education is discipleship and all of that, and I'm an empty nester, maybe even a widower, and you know, we're, we're single. Right. Or a single, like what, what do I do here? And I know that there's family integrated answers for that. I just think the multi-generational answers are a bit better. Um, so yeah, so let's, I guess I, I, there was a lot to answer your question to me, but, um, I'm not sure I ever even really did, but let's transition into how would you
1: define multi-generational ministry? Maybe not even textbook. What is in your heart? (laughs) So, for me, a multi-generational ministry is one that sees the same problems and agrees with the problems that the family integrated movement uh, addresses and sees. Right. They don't like that, you know, you're always taking our family in every situation away. Um, But it differs in that it doesn't villainize age-graded teaching. Right. Um, So, maybe the best way I can describe multi-generational is maybe describe how we do multi-generational. Sure. So... um, Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour at our church we have age graded teaching through 12 years old yeah and um, and it's great in the corporate worship time um, everybody's welcome we have nursery through age 3 but many of our families don't choose to use the nursery they just bring their babies in there with them they bring their ones and two year olds and are, are working diligently to train them how to sit and be attentive um So um, we welcome the family in corporate worship. We provide age graded teaching during the Sunday school hour, and in small groups, uh, we encourage children to be vocal participants. Right. So, um, like my own children will contribute and be asked questions and be invited to give feedback and. They're not going to be overly criticized just because you know they're nine or they're seven, and they're going to give a seven-year-old version of. Um, and so,
0: can I stop you real quick? and just yes. ask? So, in your small groups in homes, uh, you you all don't pay for a babysitter and send the kids to a room. We don't. They just sit in the room with you guys as you do.
1: It's now th- that said, there are some of our small groups that have. Very, very young infants in arms and toddlers, and they'll maybe go to a side room and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. But uh, if you're able to hear and understand four, five, six, and up, those kids are often participants in our Bible study small groups, and we love that. And so I think that's
0: where Seaford is experiencing a change right now, and some of our members who may be listening to this are going, oh, because... We were the silo church for a long time. It was the second you walked in the door, it was like, well, you go here and you go here and you go here and you go here. And that is still kind of that way with Sunday school. So what what we've done now with the worship service is we're we're saying to K through four, you're in until we start preaching. If you want to leave, mom and dad, if you want them to go, they can go. And then they go and they hear uh age-graded teaching that carries on from the Sunday school hour. It's the same curriculum. It builds on what they have heard. And then our fifth graders, we said, you're going to stay with us. You're 10. When you hit those double digits, it's time to really learn how to be the church. Um, and so we're we're moving from silo world into, I think, starting to dip our toe into it being a truly multi-generational church. Uh, and so... It's very interesting for me to hear you say the kids are in there just full-on participating with the adults. That would be so new for our church to experience something like that, but I think it's a beautiful thing for sure.
1: One thing that I love about this that I never experienced growing up in a silo um, kind of church. You did, you did
0: grow up in that sort
1: of church? I did. Okay. And one thing that was unfortunate is that the church never facilitated... A discipleship time where I saw my dad weep over his sin, Mm. repent to one of his brothers. Yeah. um, Where I heard him respond to learning and saw what it looked like for a grown man to learn and ask uh, thoughtful questions about the text that we were studying. Yeah. And as a younger man, the only people that I ever saw do any of that were my peers I never saw how an older, more mature, more godly, more wise man did the Christian life. And so I didn't know how to engage anyone except for my peers in the Christian life. And that was such a challenge. So, uh, you know, when you're in a multi-gen situation and you're in the Bible studies uh, groups and in people's homes and, um, you know, there you are, there's a 55-year-old man and he's Saying, work is just crushing me, and I know I need to preach the gospel to myself. I know I need to keep my eyes fixed on Christ rather than on my circumstances. And I pray, and I ask you guys to pray, that God's grace would avail for me. Wow, yeah. I mean, like, my seven-year-old hears this, and my little seven-year-old daughter is learning, that's what it looks like to be a Christian.
0: That's right. Yeah. I I think It's awesome. And... It also, I think, allows our kids to know outside of their parents who they can ask questions to. Yeah. I mean, I was ready to walk away from the Christian faith at 18 years old, and did for a little bit. Uh, God never walked away from me, thankfully. The, uh, the smoldering wick never went out. But I had this question of why is God creating people that He knows will never choose Him, that He knows are going to go to hell. And I said, until somebody can answer this, I can't go forward. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I'm going to need somebody to explain to me what's going on here. And I went to, I was, thankfully, I, I had men in my, in my parents' church I could go to and ask that question. And because even in the silo ministry, there were enough times just in church life where I would see certain men stand up and say certain things. Go, Well, they're not a pastor, but they seem pretty sharp. To get that regularly, weekly even, or monthly, it's got to have a dramatic effect on a child. Mm. Um, So multi-generational, I think for us right now, and maybe you can talk about where you're at as a church if you want, uh, I don't know, but for us, I think the step we're taking is, it's really about worship. We don't have any Sunday school class that has kids and adults sitting together, uh, learning the Bible that I'm, yeah, unless somebody's doing something I'm not aware of. And we don't, we do have some off-campus small groups that meet during the week, but they're mainly populated by the empty nester, uh, kind of generation of our church. They, that, that group really needed community during COVID and they found it in off-campus small groups and Hmm. we're happy for them to continue on. We say Sunday school is the gateway to discipleship at Seaford, but we're happy for people to go to those groups. They are there. So we're not really doing that. For us right now, it's more we want our kids to see their dads and their moms sing. I especially want my children to understand that singing is masculine. Mm -hmm. That singing is not something you should feel bashful about, shameful about. I'm still getting over that. I go to New Yorktown Beach and I sing hymns in public. Not like I'm not standing on a step stool, okay? I'm sitting on a bench. People come by and I want to I quiet down because I'm like, oh, I feel so weird singing like this. But I'm like, you know what? This is what men do.
1: <laughs> and it's what women do as well. Yeah, go to is... a soccer game in Britain.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want my, I loved at the thing that we did a couple weeks ago, the one gospel at our church. This is, I don't make these evergreen. This is being recorded Tuesday, August 29th. It's 2.47 p.m. So <laughs> uh, yeah, we had the one gospel deal at the church. I loved holding my daughter right up you know holding her right up to where her face is next to my mouth, and she is just getting all the bass and all the off notes and everything she's yeah. getting it all, yeah. just me singing yeah. and and I wanted that and yeah. our our kids are are getting to experience super important. that, and so that's a first step for us, but we don't have steps beyond that. we don't have a plan to like. We certainly, I, we have no plan to become family integrated because that's not who I am. Pastor Ben describes himself as a bridge. He says, I am the guy that wants to hold the hands of the family integrated people and hold the hands of the multi-generational people and say, let's all be friends. And Ben is a, is, is a counterweight to me so that we balance each other out. We meet in the middle. Thus, we have the kids leaving during the sermon to, yeah, to yeah. go out. And so that's kind of where we're at. I do want our church members to hear that we do not have a... Another step we're taking at this point we're just doing this we feel like this is the thing to do and it's going to be the thing to do for some time um, and we don't really have a lot of other settings where we're looking to make big changes so um, but how about you all what is multi-generational look like so Sunday morning everybody you said three and up is in the service
1: three and up is in the service yeah so I mean similar to you we want our children seeing and experiencing this is what it looks like for the congregation to worship and we want our children seeing and experiencing this is what it looks like for us to encourage one another exhort one another and grow in our Christian faith so we have deliberately multi-generational settings for both of those things for worship and for discipleship Right. but we also recognize the benefit of age-graded teaching so we also have that. And I think maybe if I were to try to pigeonhole like what is a multi-gen thing, it's basically, yeah, we, we definitely love all the positives that Family Integrated brings, but we also want to make sure that we include um, multi-generational teaching, you know, fun crafts and games and things like that that right. kids love and are benefited by.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you all have a youth group at RCF? Mm-mm. There's no youth group.
1: No, and for us, I mean, uh, um, you know, it, really, the, we have a lot of youth, but we don't have a youth group. They they have, they really effectively become a part of the congregation by the time they're 13. Right. And um, if, if you do a multi-gen approach that has a multi-gen uh, discipleship thing, not a worship component, but a multi-gen... Discipleship components so that kids are participating and engaging with the adult members of the congregation. By the time they're thirteen, the concept of a youth group might seem foreign or forced. Right. Um, I don't have any opposition to that existing in my brother's churches. You know, I'm not here. I'm not here to convince you otherwise. Right. Um, But um, yeah, it's just not something that uh, would be needed or appealing, I think, to our kids.
0: I will say though, after one gospel, there was this. Traffic jam right down in front of the center of the stage where the pulpit usually is at our church. And I looked down there and I saw your son. A bunch of RCF Un- kids. <laughs> yeah, he was unmistakable in his uh, his very suave suspenders. But so I went up to talk to him about his suspenders. I wanted to know if it was your idea or his. Which he said it was his. And uh, and I said, "Sir, are these is this the RCF youth group?" And they all did look at me very strangely. <laughs> so, but to the to the credit of those students, I mean, the community and the camaraderie. And the brother and sisterhood seemed very strong. You could yeah. tell just from the, con- the, the fact that they immediately found each other after it ended, circled up, and just started talking.
1: You don't have to, you don't have to force um, peers to congregate. They just will. Right. So our, our teens get along pretty well. Uh, I will say um, that early on, if you're making a transition of any sort, you kind of have to help them learn that, especially in the silo world, because everything's silo, right? School silos you. Every every, every um, institution of, of our American society tends to do that. Right. You kind of have to teach them to be a little bit more self-starter. And now go make friends. Now you connect with that. Now let's have these people, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Because when I'm not facilitating them having friends through this this environment, um, yeah, that, that can... So you have to be deliberate there.
0: I think this would be a good time to mention to some of our people who may be listening, who might be going, oh man, is Pastor Michael being swayed by this non-youth group (laughs) fellow? Uh, There's no plans for us to get rid of the youth group at Seaford or anything like that. Um, And we, we truly, when it came to the change we made with worship, which was a change it took a little while for me to get on board with because it's all I've ever known. Yeah. All I've ever known is sure. eh, everybody split up. Yeah. And it really was the amount of people in our church coming to me saying, mm. I'm so concerned for this upcoming generation. Mm. What are we gonna do for them? What are we gonna do for them? And I'm like, do they need another screen? No. Do they need another game? No. Do they need another trip to Top Golf? No. I mean we can those just places where we could play some switch together and and where we can uh, you know play Red Rover and we can go to top golf but the thing that I became convinced of is they need to be the church they yeah. need to know how to be the church to love the local church to love the lord of the local church to to have he- I, I want my children to look at 70 and 80-year-olds in our church and say those are my heroes.
1: Yeah, to identify with them. Absolutely. And it's challenging to have our young people identify with people that we separate them from.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, uh, with, with real full consistency. But if we want if we want our young people to start looking at those precious 70 and 80-year-old saints and even 40 and 50-year-old saints and saying, those are my people... Then we need to put them with them as as often as we can, while still um, granting age graded helpful teaching to the different ages. And I, so we're trying. I hope that's successful. You know, but um,
0: well, I think what I would be open to at Seaford in the future, just talking out loud here, is you know if we had some folks who said we really want to have our kids in Sunday school with us, and we think there's some others who might want to do this. Yeah. Would you be comfortable with us starting that class? I would say absolutely. I'm comfortable with you starting that class, you know, with some coordination with the the pastors and with our children's director. Those are those are things that we could we could see um, without making big widespread changes. Because I think for us, we want to be more multi generational. But I have no intention of moving toward
1: a full family integration. No, not at yeah. all.
0: Not at all. That's just not going to be who we are. And. um I love the option right now that we've we've set up to say, hey, you want to have your kids in with you the whole time? You can do that. Uh, My brother, Ben Little, who uh, I just said is the guy holding the hand of each side. His kids stay with them, you know, on Sunday mornings. And uh, the reality is, too, like, sometimes our kids get rowdy. I'm not speaking to Ben's, my own, you know, I've been preaching before and seen out, of my, seen out of my side, you know, my wife get up and take the child out, and I'm like, hmm, I guess I'll hear about that later. Right. <laughs> and,
1: right.
0: and that's all just a part of being the church. Uh, and I, I feel like the, the folks in our church that do have their kids in with them do a pretty good job of being respectful and trying to say, okay, it's, it's gotten close enough to the line of being distracting that I'm going to take them out. Yeah. And then we'll come back in after they've been quieted and calmed. (laughs) So, and I think that's, um, so I'm comfortable with who we are at this moment. Uh, But I always want us like being more multi-generational is always something that I'll be open to the Lord, just saying, you know, you show us. And I think it will come naturally. And I feel this came naturally. I think there's some folks in our church who are like, oh, not for me, my friend. And, and that has made me go, okay, then we have like, we have some wading into these waters and just some kind of getting used to the temperature that we need to do before we can even, I think before we can even really start to see the beauty and the value of having the kids in worship with us for the singing. So it's a a growing that's happening for us in that way, Uh, but there is no big big master plan that I have in a drawer in my office that's going to take us to being family integrated Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly not in uh, any of the other pastor's drawers either. And so to our people who are listening, I would say, take us at our word <laughs> when you hear us say we're not looking to become a family-integrated church, and right now all we want is just have our kids and worship with us on Sundays yeah. more. Take us at our word that that's all we
1: want right now. It's a good step. It's yeah. a good step.
0: So let me ask you this, because we are a church that's also been discussing lay pastors, lay elders a bit. Interchangeable terms, by the way, church. Uh, you all call them elders at RCF? Yep. And So... How do elders, particularly not hired but having laymen, how does that help encourage a multi generational church setting to remain multi generational? Do do you think that laymen helping to, to you know govern the church, having pastoral authority, you know, it, it helps multi gen church
1: flourish? Would you say? I think having yeah, I mean, really, it's just... I, I'm not sure that having lay elders as opposed to vocational elders... I don't know how that would be a benefit one way or another. But having elders agree on multigenerational ministry together certainly helps it flourish. And having a plethora of elders, vocational or non, is helpful in this way. So multigenerational ministry... Um, at its root desires not just older saints um, encouraging and being a godly influence on younger saints in church settings, but it's sort of an outflowing of what ought to be going on in the home. And it's modeling of what ought to be going on in the home. Yeah. You know, so as, um, you know, Ephesians 6, you know, fathers don't provoke your children to wrath, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. So... The silo ministry does not inherently show a father how to do that. In fact, in a silo ministry, a father will only be separated from his kids, never uh, never put into a spot where he's, he's in. Maybe you do a class in silo ministry for fathers on how to disciple your kids, but there's never going to be any church where we... we we model that by right. by doing that in a multi-generational setting. Whereas uh, in a multi-generational setting, you're going to have older men engaging with younger people, and that's going to be a model for every dad for how to engage his kids in the home. Absolutely. And um, so that's beautiful. But elders, lay elders, and I think the only way to have this is by having lay elders. Um, we do... Um, Personal pastoral ministry—we've talked about this a little bit before, where um, monthly an elder is going to check in on you and see how your soul is, right? And ask you some great questions. That yes, I know that you we're like going to ask at the <laughs> end of the podcast. That's right. <laughs> that I stole from uh, the guys at RCF. It's, they're good questions. They are. So, um, but the, the, you know, they sit down with them and, and they often ask, "Hey, how is family worship going? Mm-hmm. If it's just a married couple and it's a husband and his wife, how are you guys doing in your?" devotions together if he's got a plethora of children that he's training to love the Lord as they rise up and as they like, go about the way you know how is that going yeah. you know how can I encourage you and um, having lay elders be able having a, a, an abundance of lay elders to be able to visit with each home yeah to check in on them to see how things are going uh, with every generation represented in that home is invaluable
0: absolutely
1: I mean you know, and honestly, there's a sense in which when a lay elder comes to your home, this is what I found. When I come to the home, it, the professional has walked in the door. Right. Yeah. But when the lay elder comes to the home, a lay elder makes that phone call. This is just a mature, godly shepherd. Mm. And uh, the, 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 whatever perceived professionalism isn't perceived. Right. It's just godly maturity. And I covet that gift for our congregation. Absolutely. So,
0: yeah.
1: Well, hope I've answered that question. I don't know if no, I No, that
0: happened. was great. That was great. And <laughs> I hope this has been good for whoever's listening, whatever church you go to, and certainly for our folks at Seaford. Um, I, I hope that if you have been excited about having the kids in with worship, maybe you're one of the families saying, oh, my kids aren't even going to kids' praise anymore. They're staying with us the whole time. Then this only, you know, boobies you and makes you feel all the more confident if you. Are listening to this and you've been struggling with this a little bit. I hope that maybe you see the value of what we're trying to do but also have relieved some fears of is there another rabbit coming out of the sure. hat. Yeah. Um, and I yeah I, I just hope that it has given a better understanding of maybe the differences and what these models are and just think there's a lot for people to think about here. Some other things for you to think about. Uh, as we ask at the end of each podcast, number one, how is your soul? Hmm. How is your soul doing? How are you doing? And not just externally, but internally. Secondly, how is God's grace at work in your life? For These these are literally the questions, yeah, are they are not? They're
1: literally the questions. <laughs> yep.
0: So how is God's grace at work in your life? And then how would you like his grace to be at work in your life? Where are the areas you go, oh, I wish that I wasn't failing here, yeah. falling here, That's struggling right. here, or I really wish I could grow here, or I really wish that he'd bless me with this. This mm-hmm. is something I've long, you know, desired for a long time. Um, if you consider these questions, I always encourage you to pause the podcast, think for a second, to spend some time with the Lord. But if you consider these questions, you say, I need a pastor. I need to talk to a pastor. Reach out to us at connect at seafordbaptist.com. We will be right back in touch with you. It will take less than 24 hours, and we will come talk to you and we can talk about these questions and uh, it'd be our joy to do so. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure if you're listening and you're from RCF, I mean, you're going to, you're going to get that call regardless. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) So, yeah. And we hope to be able to do that at Seaford at some point. That is one of the reasons that I do long to have laymen at the pastoral table is so that we can go into homes and not just be there for trauma, but to go ahead of the trauma and, and, and to check on people, see how they're doing and and, um, yeah, shepherd them uh, regularly and for them to have that interaction. I long for that. When we were at that pillar meeting, I said, is anybody actually doing the Richard Baxter Reform Pastor thing? And you slowly raise your hand and yeah. you're like, uh, we are. <laughs> so.
1: Matt called me out here. <laughs> Kenny, this is your baby. You should talk. Yeah. yeah. So. Well,
0: it's a beautiful thing and we hope to be able to do more of that at Seaford. So <coughs>
1: thank you for being on with us. to join. joy.
0: And, uh, yeah, is there any RCF things you want to plug? If your people are listening and they need a pastor, what do they email? Uh, They call their elder. (laughs) They call their elder. There you go. Seriously, thanks for being on. Until next time, keep living that pilgrim life representing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man.